I'm 50 fucking eight years old. I got three Ironmans this year. I have no medications, no nothing. So if I can do all that and I'm not anything special without taking the life of a fucking innocent animal, destroying the planet in the process, and then save people's lives in the same process, why not do the plant-based diet? Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Bananiac, and this is Bananas. This podcast, of course, is brought to you by none other than FitBot, the number one fitness app out there. If you're looking to get fit, something to help you in the gym, this is for you. FitBot takes into account exactly all of the equipment that's available to you, whether you have a home gym and you only have a few equipment available, so like, let's say, barbell and dumbbells, or maybe you go to an actual gym where it has a lot of equipment, you select all of that in the app so then it knows what workouts to generate for you you can tell it if you want to do upper body lower body if you want to do strength building or bodybuilding the options are endless so this app is really a custom workout app it it really customizes everything and caters to your needs of what you're trying to do in the gym so if getting fit was not only a new year's resolution for you then i highly recommend you download fitbod and you can head to fitbod.me slash bananiac that's F-I-T-B-O-D dot M-E slash B-A-N-A-N-I-A-C. Also, if you're looking for recipes, I got you. I got you. On my website, Bananiac.com, I have an ebook which you guys can download. And I have 25 of very simple yet very tasty whole food plant-based recipes that you guys can make right in your kitchen that won't take a lot of thinking that won't take a lot of your time just very simple and straightforward that's that's basically how i like to cook at home don't get me wrong i follow a lot of accounts on instagram I love food porn, but I cannot make food porn all day long as much as I would want to because I'm very busy. I go to work just like everybody listening to this podcast. My day is completely full of things to do. So I don't have a lot of time to be spending on just cooking, but I also don't want to sacrifice it by going to fast food and junk food. I still want to eat healthy. So if that sounds like something up your alley, download Bananiac's Simple Vegan Recipes at Bananiac.com, which you also can find banners on the website you can click on them such as the amazon banner takes you straight to the amazon website you can do all your amazon shopping at no extra cost to you but it does help support this podcast and all these awesome episodes that i am putting out with these fantastic guests and lastly if you guys like this podcast if you guys like the content I'm putting out, as well as the guests that I'm bringing to you, I would greatly appreciate it if you guys can head to Apple Podcasts. I'll have the link in the show notes down below that you guys can just click on, head on over there, give this podcast a five-star rating, maybe drop me a comment of what you think. I would really appreciate it. What that does is it tells iTunes to push the podcast to more people with the more ratings that it gets. And by doing that, we get more people to listen to the message that we talk about on this podcast, which is always about veganism, a whole food plant-based diet, living a healthy lifestyle, being fit, and just living a positive and inspirational lifestyle. And thanks to everyone who has supported the podcast. I am just so excited with everything that is going on behind the scenes. But stick around, follow me at Bananiac on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. 
on YouTube as well. I post the video format of these interviews. So if you guys have just been listening to the audio format, the video version is up on my YouTube channel, Bananiac. So yeah, subscribe, follow, do all the stuff. I have a lot of exciting things going on and I want you guys to be a part of it. So today's guest is John Joseph. And before I say anything else about this episode, I want to give you guys a parental advisory explicit content warning. You know, those things that they used to put on CDs. Well, at least when people used to buy CDs back in the day. (laughs) If you guys know, you know. Okay, so John likes to curse a lot. And I am not going to edit him out. I'm not going to tell him not to curse because I want people on this podcast to be themselves. I want them to show their genuine self to you guys. Now, if that's something that you're not into, if you're under 18, you might want to get your mommy and daddy's approval before listening to this episode, but just want to give that warning, okay? So don't don't say I didn't tell you. But if you want to stick around, we're going to talk about a lot of heavy topics here. So John Joseph, he was the lead singer of a very big punk rock band called Chromags. If you guys are into the music scene, you probably know who they are. He was also into the Bad Brains and now is part of the Chromags JM, as well as a band called Blood Clot. John is also an Ironman. He's into cycling, swimming, running, very into fitness. He's also a vegan, a big promoter of the plant-based diet. He's the author of Meat is for Pussies, which you guys may have heard about. He's also the author of The PMA Effect, which talks about positive mental attitude. And a lot of that comes from his experience, basically how he grew up on the streets of New York trying to survive, growing up in a foster home, experiencing violence at a very young age, being involved with drugs and alcohol and it was really amazing where this person came from and that's why I wanted to have him on the show is I really want you guys to focus on that forget about all the cursing if you can put that to the side listen to where this individual came from listen to the struggles that he had faced and look at where he has gone it's about the story guys it is always about the journey in the story, not about the destination. It's how you get there. So that is why I wanted to have him on. And we also at the end talk about a documentary he's working on with Paul DeGilder, who I've had on the show before, as well as Kip Anderson. He produced Cowspiracy, as well as What the Health, those documentaries. I'm sure you've seen them on Netflix. And the new documentary John Joseph is working on with those guys, it's called 30 for Life. And we'll talk about this a little bit later but it's focusing on prisoners. And they put these guys on a plant-based diet. They're really providing them with an education. And it sounds like a really great program about what they're doing and really giving these guys a second chance because look, we all make mistakes growing up and some of them may cost us our freedom. So I think what he's doing is most likely with what he experienced as well, He's giving these guys a second chance and giving them another shot at life. So this is a really great episode. Hope you guys dig it. Without further ado, here is John Joseph. John, dude, uh, very awesome to finally connect with you. I've I've um, watched a lot of your videos online. I've heard of a lot of your podcasts and I've been looking to, um, to connect with you for the longest time. So I really appreciate your time. Oh man, no worries. Uh, thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I um, just want to start off by just asking you if you could kind of go over a little bit about your past, your story, uh, for those that might not know who you are, if you can kind of introduce yourself. Uh, yeah, I uh, was the lead singer for the Crow mag since uh, 1981 and, uh, you know, grew up in a violent 
family. My father was an alcoholic boxer, and we ended up in, in uh, foster care because of it, really bad places, and uh, hit the streets in the 70s, uh, 76, and then got incarcerated for, uh, you know, drug sales and stuff like that, and did two years upstate and went into the Navy after that. And, um, you know, just a very violent upbringing on the streets of New York at that time. New York was, was pretty crazy. Um, and the circles I was running in led to some bad situations happening. And, uh, um, you know, after lockup, I went into the Navy and, you know, uh, was stationed in Norfolk and, uh, in 1980, you know, uh, I was, you know, selling drugs in the Navy and just, you know, into punk rock and shit and totally crazy and getting fucked up fighting all the time and, uh, smuggling drugs on the ship. And, uh, you know, I met the bad brains and that's when the whole kind of change toward the PMA, the positive mental attitude and the, all that stuff happened. I ended up splitting from the Navy, uh, cause I caught a drug case and, uh, beat somebody down pretty severely on my ship that kept fucking with me. And they were, you know, looking to send me probably to military prison for it. And, uh, I split before that happened and came back to New York city and, and, was uh, living and working with the Bad Brains, and that's when I went uh, plant-based and, um, you know, just kept kept learning and growing and uh, lived as a Hare Krishna monk for two years, from 82 to 84, and then went back to the Cro-Mags. And, you know, so, yeah, just uh, decades of, of the school of hard knocks, but just kept fighting, staying in, staying in the fight. Definitely, definitely. A, a lot that you said there. Um, let's start, I, I guess, let's go way back uh, when you were in the foster home. If you can kind of tell me what, you know, what your experience was like then and and maybe some of the struggles you went to before people even got to know you as the, you know, the band member of Cro-Mags. Uh, well, you know, it, it, you get these people and they take foster kids for the money and then they uh, abused the children and, 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 uh, you know, it was that type of situation. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was very difficult for me and my two brothers and, uh, a lot of bad shit happened. And, um, you know, as a result, it, 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 when I got out of there, it made me very violent towards, uh, I wasn't a bully, but I learned how to fight very well. And anybody that fucked with me on the streets of New York after that, uh, I did what I had to do, you know. And, and that's uh, as a 14 year old kid on the streets, that's, you know, when we sang about, when I sang about street justice and survival of the streets, that shit was real. I was living in burnt out buildings and, uh, you know, fighting every day just you could imagine you know I was a drug mule and all kinds of shit so um it was uh it was it was hard times but you know you, you fight through it and uh 
you know, a lot of people uh, didn't didn't make it out of those uh, circumstances. I lost a lot of uh, people to drugs. My first girlfriend, uh, you know, died of a heroin overdose, and that was uh, in the seventies, and that and that was a wake up call. And uh, you know, it just. Uh, you know, I, I always said when you keep kicking a dog, it makes that dog a very vicious dog, you know, and, and that's, you know, for six years we were we were abused and uh, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't easy, but it, it does something uh, to somebody uh, inside and working with a lot of people in the prison systems and stuff like that lately, it, you know, a lot of uh, those people had similar circumstances happen to them as kids. So you have to look at the whole picture uh, of what makes somebody uh, become, you know, who they are. And it was only by the guidance of reading uh, the Bhagavad Gita and all these different books on yoga and meditation and, and uh, you know, and, and plant-based diets that I was able to, to overcome all of that. Right, definitely. And I definitely want to talk to you about your work that you're doing with the prisoners as well uh, a, a little later. Um, but I would imagine probably that experience that you had as a 14-year-old kid, you know, that probably gave you a lot to fight for. You know what I mean? It, it probably gave you a lot of motivation to to get out of there. And I kind of want to ask you, you know, how did you get out of that situation and then start becoming part of the crow mags and, and the bad brains and started getting into music? Well, music was always important to me because like as far back as I can remember, even as a kid, you know, my father, you know, tried to murder my mom, like, it, it, you know, seeing that happen and, and the, and the beatings and, uh, I didn't even find out till I was 40 that, uh, I was conceived out of a rape that she had left him and, he broke in and, and, um, you know, raped my mother against her will. Wow. She was impregnated and, and she chose not to, you know, terminate me. Um, so music, no matter what we were going through, always on the run from this dude. And he would find out where we were, break in, beat her down, take all her money, uh, take all the food out of a refrigerator to give to his new girlfriend's kid. And just a really fucking piece, just a piece of work this guy was. But, yeah. you know, my mother, it was always music. She would put on 45s. And I remember like, I must've been about five years old and, and dancing in the kitchen that, that I'm born in 62. So that's like 67. She would put Motown on and we would dance me and her in the kitchen and, and uh, of the apartment, and uh, it was always the thing that was the healing force in my life. And then, even in the foster home, no matter what was happening, I found this little AM radio, and I would, you know, be under the blankets. It they made us sleep in a garage, you know, right? And, uh, and I would be under a blanket, wow, you know, with an ear earpiece in, listening to like you know, Motown and, and, and Bill Withers and all this, all this different, you know, Marvin Gaye and all that, all that stuff. And in the seventies and, um, 
you know, it was just no matter what I was going through, it was always music. And then, you know, when I got the energy of punk rock and I heard Iggy Pop in, in like 75, I was like, what the fuck is this? And then I identified then the Sex Pistols and all the shit in New York when I went you know, we bounced around after they shut that one foster home down to other foster homes, and um, we were damaged goods at that point. You know, we we just were fucked up kids, man. Yeah. Like we didn't tell anybody what happened to us ever. Like, but uh, you know, we ended up in St. John's in '76, home for boys in Rockaway Beach, and then I was seeing the Ramones and all the punk rockers on the boardwalk, and then I started, you know, going to the city and going to Max's, and and I identified with the violent nature of punk rock, like, fuck the establishment, and, like, just the energy, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, I loved, I loved rock and roll, too, and, and, and soul music, I just always loved all music, you know, like, uh, I saw Sabbath and in 76, and, and, all those bands at the Garden, the Who, and, and um, you know, but then the punk rock shit stood out to me. And, uh, you know, just the way that it was, it was just such a rebellious form of uh, music. And, and um, I was at that stage in my life where I was like, you know, I, I, I tried to let the system, the system failed me. You know, they never sent anybody to check this house and these people threat, you know, through violence kept us quiet and threats. And we never said anything, but we kept a diary of what they did to us. And then when the social worker finally got that diary, you know, he he like broke down crying and uh you know, it was it was it was heavy, but um it was over always the music you know yeah and then when i went i went i got locked up and then music was that same thing you know when i got locked up i would just sit you know it was really weird because like you know you try to say oh man you know everyone goes in thinking oh yeah i just want to chill with everybody but that's not the way it is when you get locked up like the whites stay with the whites and the blacks stay with the blacks. And, you know, you have to look at it this way. I went into lockup when Roots was on TV. And even in Spofford Correctional Facility in the Bronx, I was the only white kid in the entire place. So I was a target. And the 5% of Muslims, uh, which was a radical wing, violent wing of the nation of Islam had just started in the prison systems in New York. And white man was Yaku, the devil and all this shit. So it was like, I had to deal with that shit every day. So it's like, you may say, yeah, I wasn't prejudiced, but you know, you just, everybody kind of coagulated with their own. And, and even in lockup, it was like, you know, we had boom boxes in different areas of you know, the, the buildings where we were. And, um, so the, the rock dudes would be over here and the, and the, you know, the black music over there and the Spanish music. And right. It was, it was that type of thing, but you know, music always carried me outside the walls of that place, you know, like, and then, and then when I went into the, when I got out, 
I caught another case, and they offered me Navy. The military are going to jail, me and my brother. And we went in on the buddy program. And then it was the same thing. I went to Norfolk and found a punk rock club and then met the Bad Brains and the Teen Idols and Untouchables and Henry Rollins and Ian McKay and all those guys. I was going up to D.C. in 1980 going to shows and then going to D.C. and then going back up to New York just to all the shows at Irving Plaza, Black Flag, Circle Jerks, all that. Right. So, um, you know, I never had a family, so to speak. So I made my tribe out of, you know, the music scene, the punk rock. We st- we stuck together. In D.C., it was like the Marines and the Rednecks would try to jump the punk rockers. And, like, we had to fight like a motherfucker, you know. And I was never a bully, but I always was like... I live by that law, you know, don't start none and there won't be none. That's the rule in New York City on the streets back in the day. You know, mind your P's and Q's. But if you fuck with me, then my I was like, you're going to regret it. You know, and that's not no tough guy bullshit. That's just what the reality was. And some of them I didn't win. I got shot. I got stabbed. Uh, you know, it's like that's just that was, that was the way the shit went down. I seen people get murdered in front of me like. But uh, music, you know, I got to live with the Bad Brains when I went AWOL. And then they, you know, it was the whole reggae culture and the punk rock. And then, you know, I was living at 171 Studios. So that's when the Cro-Mags started getting together back then with the Bad Brains. Manager was the drummer and this guitar player, Dave Stein, and the bass player and myself. So uh, that's when that band Cro-Mags started. You know, but uh, that band broke up and then I tried to do another band. Uh, and then the guitar player, this guy, Bob, got murdered. So it's like, you know, that, that didn't happen. Yeah, he was, he started dating this uh, biker's ex-girl and he just wound up. They never even found his body. He was just gone. You know, but, yeah. uh, you know, it was always, that's how New York was, man. And, and um, it was, I think, you know, the... The hardcore punk shit was was an outlet for that all that that energy and that angst and that whole shit that I had going on. It was like, you know, but I also liked reggae and uh, just for the spiritual message. And I started getting into yoga and meditation. I got a job at a health food store. And being with the Bad Brains, they were, you know, kept instilling that like, yo, you can't eat, you know, animals and you you know you gotta i actually went raw foods when i first got into it so uh yeah yeah i met victorious kovinskis and the hippocrates people and you know the first raw food restaurant not even restaurant it was just like a to-go place was on 7th street and i was going there and drinking you know getting all the seed cheeses and rejuvelac and wheatgrass and way before any of that shit ever got popular. Yeah, I mean, raw foods, they're, they're so good for you. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, like fruits, vegetables, those are raw foods, you know, and they're so important to everyone's diet. And uh, when you start incorporating more and more raw foods and nuts and seeds and stuff like that, you start feeling so good, as I'm sure you, you probably felt. Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, like I would eat shit just from being starved as a kid. Yeah, I would eat shit that not even meat eaters would eat because, <laughs> like, 
I was just like, you know, when I went to lockup, I was 130 soaking wet. I came out three hots in a cot. You know, I came out 165, cock diesel boxed when I was locked up. Yeah. Had the fight when I was locked up. So it was like, you know, I took advantage of all that food, even though it was institutionalized. You know, when you're locked up, it's powdered eggs and powdered potatoes and fink bread and yeah. all this bullshit food and meat. And then, you know, they're giving you the government surplus shit. But coming from being starved, naturally you're going to get your weight up. And I was in, I was fucking pumping iron and, you know, just became a really, I really used that two years to work on my, uh, you know, physical uh, aspect because that's what you had to do. They had that saying, you got to get your weight up when you get locked up. And that means you better be able to fucking put on some, you know, 130-pound motherfucker ain't ain't running in them circles and, you know. Yeah, that's dangerous, especially in prison, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, it's like that's, that's the world I came out of. So, uh, you know... You know, it, it's uh, not no fantasy life, man. Right. You know, a lot of people talk a lot of fantasy bullshit. You know, it was not no fantasy. And, and um, you know, like I said, I wasn't a bully. But if you were bigger than me and I'm a 14-year-old kid on the street or 16 years old in lockup, like the first time I, I you know, on the streets, I... I you know, you pick up an equalizer and do what you got to do, you know? like Yeah, for and he, sure. And locked up, I had the Spofford, that's where Mike Tyson was, and, like, real legit criminal motherfuckers, like, yeah. murder, everything. And, and you're in there, like, the only white motherfucker in the whole place. And from the minute I walked into indoctrination and they, you know, they do all that shit, strip search you and read you the fucking riot act, somebody started fucking with me and then when we got up to the wing it was the same shit and I just picked up a chair and 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 beat that motherfucker unconscious with it and then knocked out his friend oh wow so it was like you know I always uh was able to throw with the hands man yeah yeah you did what you had to do I'm sure but I'm just like generally curious you know like why why do you feel in your opinion there's there was or maybe still today too so much uh just violence and just a lot of just crazy stuff going on in the scene of music where music you know should be something that's inspirational motivational something positive to give to the people why do you think that community is is just so uh so hostile which, which community which, which uh genre of music are you talking about i mean i guess you could apply it to almost anything right like you look at the rap scene or even like the the rock scene um which i i, I would imagine those are probably those are definitely the two that i you know listen to the most anyhow um but just listening to some of the you know the stuff that you mentioned before like well, the shit today is is mindless fucking garbage man how many like you know i worked at all the hip hop clubs i did security at all the clubs in the early 80s in new york city and like it was a revolutionary message to that whole shit like mm-hmm. a lot of it and now it's just all fucking mumble rap and bullshit and there's only there's maybe one out of 100 artists yeah 
that got anything of value to say. Even the reggae became fucking dancehall, gangster, Jamaican gangster bullshit. And look at how that started out. Mm-hmm. You know, it started out, you know, the rude boy music and then reggae and just this spiritual message. And, and even punk rock was revolutionary against the system. And then that led to hardcore and then motherfuckers is fighting amongst themselves. And, and that's, that's just what happens. It's things get watered down and polluted. And, and, uh, like I said, homogenized for mass consumption because anything that had a revolutionary message got squashed because it, the music is being used to control people. Now sound vibration is used to control people. So you don't see any, you know, revolutionary type shit getting played out there or anything. Even in the rock shit, it's all like, oh yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's all like some self-indulgent bullshit about, you know, people trying to act like they're living on the edge and whatever the fuck. I, I, I don't, Yeah. you know. Like, I, I went to all the early hip-hop shit and Public Enemy and, you know, saw De La Soul. I was at, when The Clash played on Bonds and, and um, Grandmaster Flash opened up, I was at, like, you know, getting to witness all this revolutionary music. And, you know, now it's just, it's just bullshit to, to you know, I'm not saying all of it, but a lot of it is some fake, as the Daryl, Daryl from the Bad Brains, you know, he, you know, he he uh, he termed it, uh, you know, it's like fake tough guy music, man, you know, wannabe, wannabe, and then it's like I gotta prove myself, so I'm gonna shoot somebody. That don't make you a fucking man, right? Like, people used to throw with the hands on the street. Now it's like. I had a motherfucking one of these rap kids, 20-something years old, try to steal my friend's bike, and I stopped him. Oh, damn. He pulls out a a razor and tries to slice my face. Well, guess what? It didn't end well for him. He goes and gets the cops, like, to have me arrested. I'm like, this is the type of shit you're dealing with, you know? It's, It's just, you know... Music is supposed to be healing and having a positive message and, and, um, you know, I, I think the, you know, uh, the powers that be, they squash that shit, man. You know, if you got anything to say to bring people together or, or, or unify people or, or anti-establishment or stop in the new world order, your shit's getting squashed, man. They're not... They're not letting your your shit get into the mainstream, you know. And more immortal technique and all these guys, like, you know, it it, it even PE man back fucking in the day, like the shit they were saying, and a lot of the rappers, man, it was like wow, like, and that's why I think punk rock and hip hop ran along the same lines because it came from the street. Mm-hmm you know right and i agree with you 100% it's hard to find real stuff these days i mean not just with music but like i mean you look at like social media too people are like faking it like taking you know fake pictures in private jets and like trying to glamorize their life i'm sure the same stuff is going on 
with music as well, trying to make it seem like, you know, more than what it actually is. Well, you know what? My writing teacher, Robert McKee, said something very, very important. He said there's a direct correlation between a decline of value in society and a decline in the arts. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Look at the film. Look at everything that's getting out there now. It's like, you know, that's why the cream always rises to the top. You know, when you get a movie that has a beautiful message and it's saying something, it's going to affect millions of people, man. You know, and and then there's just explosions and CGI and fucking, right. you know, just stupid fucking sex scenes and just a movie that ain't about shit or music that ain't about shit or plays or books or I don't know, man. I, I just come, I just come, I'm turning 58 this year and I, I was blessed to see a lot of, you know, and then when you point shit out, motherfuckers is like, okay, boomer. I'm like, motherfucker, I outwork you every fucking day. You want to call me <laughs> boomer? Like, First of all, I ain't got no kids, motherfucker. Second of all, you should be ashamed of yourself that me at 50 fucking turning 58 is out working the fuck out of you and putting out product that's way beyond anything you would ever do because you think by putting a fucking video on YouTube that you're going to be famous. It's some, it's an insta-fame microwave fucking culture. That's what you have. Right. Everybody's in it for the wrong reasons. We didn't get into music and writing and all this shit. We did it because we loved it. We did mm-hmm. it. We went out and suffered in fucking vans, broke down vans and slept on people's floors and, you know, and, and, and did all this shit. Now it's like all these motherfuckers want to do is think, oh, yeah, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to get fucking, you know, a million downloads and, and you know, all these people following me on social media. It's just... Listen, I don't give a fuck about none of that, you know? I I tell people straight up, when I post shit about, you know, animal and shit like this, I get a motherfucker saying a couple of stupid things, and I'm like, yo, I'm blocking their motherfucking ass. Or I'm like, yo, if you don't like what I got to say, unfollow me. I don't, I don't give a fuck about the numbers or anything like that. Even my YouTube channel, The Hard Truth, I'm like... That's why I blocked comments, because... You had a bunch of fucking mama Lukes who just think like, oh, I'm just going to go say people think that their words, uh, you know, they could just let them fly and there ain't, you know, but I don't come from that. I don't come from that. I'm like, I come from like, you know, you mouth off to a motherfucker. You, you better be fucking ready, you know, to deal with the repercussions of that. That's it's and, and it comes out of respect. We respected each other on the streets because you never knew shit could jump off so quick. I've seen so many people get murdered for having big mouths mm-hmm. and stabbed up and this and that. Like they say, you know, people, you know, they, 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 they write checks with their mouth that the ass can't cash. And now what you have is thug mouths with 911 fingers, you know. So I don't like I said I don't come from that. I treat everybody with respect. I don't. I, that's why I block the comments. Like I said, like the first two videos I put up, everybody's like, "Fuck you, you fucking vegan faggot," and all this. It's like motherfucker. If I was, if you were standing in front of me, I know for a fucking fact. I bet the farm 
damn, you would never say that to me. So rather than argue with knuckleheads, I just, you know, I just, I just block comments. It's not about you having your, you know, you go start your own shit. It's not about you coming on my shit and talking shit. I'm here putting a message out there that's helping people, that's helping the planet, that's saving animals' lives, uh, just so many positive things. And you, that is a clear sign of the hell you're living in, according to Don Miguel Ruiz and the Four Agreements. I don't take it personal because that's obviously saying the words that you're saying prove where the fuck you're coming from and where your consciousness is at. But I'm not letting that poison come onto my page, so blocked. I mean, I have motherfuckers talk so much shit, I'll fuck you up. <laughs> and then I'm like, you know, because I'm posting shit about plant-based eating and whatever the fuck. Like, you want to try to be some internet tough guy. I'm like, I, I called out a couple people like, all right, well, look, I see you're, you're living in San Diego. Guess what? I'm playing out there next month. <laughs> Why don't you fucking come and meet me and we can have a discussion and see, you know, get your little chip off your fucking shoulder. Well, silence on the motherfucking line after that. Right. That's why it's like this is the age we're living in. People just run their mouths. They're disrespectful. And, you know, even when I went on Joe Rogan, everyone was like, all these vegans are like, I can't believe you didn't fucking attack him for I'm like, listen, he's not going to get me to kill animals, and I'm not going to get him to go plant-based. But... We sat there and had an intelligent conversation. My brother eats meat. My fucking family eats meat. Am I supposed to hate them? Like, we had an intelligent conversation. And the fact of the matter is, I got thousands of people because I went on there and didn't have a stick up my ass and presented the knowledge in, the, in, a, in a palatable way mm -hmm. that went plant-based, that bought the fucking books and were like, yo, you're the first person that I heard in this whole demographic of plant-based eating that broke shit down in the right way so it's like you know and joe didn't even need to have you on it was like almost like a courtesy he he's that type of open type of guy you know he gave you the Listen, opportunity he says his shit and he does his shit and i'm like you know even now he's doing the carnivore diet everyone's tagging me i'm like i don't give a fuck what what Joe Rogan's doing? Mm -hmm. Like Joe is cool. We're friends, right? I'm, 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 I'm a friend of his. I'm friends with Brian Callen. He eats meat too. I've known Brian for thirty five fucking years. Am I supposed to be like fuck you? You're a piece of shit, like, dude. That's not the way you win people over. That's not the way you change minds, man. You steal your shit. Joe respects me because. I, I put my message out there, and if you don't want to hear it, change the motherfucking channel. It's just like, I don't, when he posts something, and it's like some fucking Axis deer or whatever, bloody on a fucking plate. What am I supposed to do? Go on his page and say, fuck you, Joe Rogan? It's like, you're not getting anywhere doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I made a couple responses about Joe's videos, but I always... Tell people, you know, I actually like Joe. Like, this is not an attack. Just me responding to a few words that he said. But actually, his podcast is a huge inspiration for what I even do here about my plant-based podcast. And um, I think it's just the land of, you know, keyboard warriors doing their thing. I mean... Keyboard warriors, you hit it on the fucking nose, man. It, there's a good quote by Jason Statham kind of 
what you were talking about too. Before you start talking shit, make sure your hands have the same fucking energy as your mouth does, which, you know, you could translate that metaphorically too. It's like, you know, you say all this stupid stuff, but then when it's time to put down the facts too, you know, where's your proof, you know? See, my whole thing with that whole shit is like, look, man, I could get, this is the whole thing. You, You could get the same gains. You could be healthy, even healthier on a plant-based diet. There's no 20-year studies of these people eating a carnivore diet because as far as I'm concerned, Sean Baker and the rest of them ain't going to fucking live that long because they're going to fucking get, just like this other doctor when we did the fucking, uh, you know, the uh, Iron Mind uh, documentary that I did, and he comes on slamming, oh, plant-based diet, you can't fucking perform on a vegan diet, those diets are unhealthy. Right. <laughs> and, and like after the thing drops, after the documentary comes out, I think it was like a week or a couple weeks later, he dies of a massive fucking heart attack. It's terrible. Now, I'm not, I wasn't, I never said, oh, good for that. I feel bad for his family and, and yeah. everything else. But listen, don't knock the shit because, you know, that's, that's my whole shit is if I can perform and I've been doing it. I've been doing this shit 39 years this year, uh, and I'm still out on tour. I'm 50 fucking eight years old this year. I'm still fucking doing Ironmans. I got three Ironmans this year. I'm still performing. I'm still doing every... I have no medications, no nothing. So if I can do all that, and I'm not anything special, I just adhere to the science that's behind it, that all these doctors... Cam, Dr. Campbell, Dr. Esselstyn, Dr. Garth Davis, all of these doctors that are putting this information out there that is correct. Yeah. I just adhere to it. So if I can do all of this without taking the life of a fucking innocent animal that doesn't want to die and destroying the planet in the process because hunting is not sustainable and neither is grass fed, all this bullshit. That's yuppie shit. That, mm-hmm. that, ain't, that ain't no science behind that. Uh, if I can do all that and then save people's lives in the same process, why not Why not do the plant-based diet? Right, you know? exactly. That, that's the way, you know, that's the way, I, you know. And I had somebody comment. I posted some slaughterhouse picture today about the worker, what he said. Somebody's like, well, we wouldn't be here. Uh, as human beings without eating animals. I'm like, here's a perfect example of a motherfucker that don't know what he's talking about because the most advanced civilizations, the Vedic culture and everything else, which all the yoga comes from, practice the diet of Ahimsa for hundreds and thousands, millions of years in India. So what the fuck are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Like, you think everybody on the planet always hunted and killed animals and all this shit? <laughs> you, you're fucking polluted by the Western philosophy that nothing existed before Jesus Christ. Right. Like, you know, dude, even Jesus went to India. Get a grip, you know? Yeah, and there's like ancient Greek philosophers too, you know, the evidence that they were talking about plant-based nutrition way before Christ as well. Yeah, of course. And he was of the Essene tribe. They, like, baked their bread in the sun and ate raw foods and fucking, 
They didn't slaughter baby fucking lambs on to say you're celebrating Christ's birthday by slitting the throat of a fucking baby lamb. Like it's yeah. pure savagery. It's just it's so convoluted. The messages of, you know, and one of the signs of the age of quarrel, which is that's how I came up with the title of the first Cro-Mag record to segue back to that. Yeah. As I started reading the Srimad Bhagavatam, which dates back hundreds and thousands of years before books were even necessary because people's memories, they were able to fucking memorize entire volumes of literature. They were so intelligent and mystic potencies and all this shit. And they were saying what the signs of the Kali Yuga, the age, the age of quarrel, where we're living, that people will, everything is ass backwards. And that's what we have. You know, you got Christians maintaining the biggest slaughterhouses in the world. It's crazy. Talking about, Jesus, like, dude, and Muslims too, with with their freaking uh, halal meat. Oh yeah, uh, sliced. I, I saw this uh, one of these fast food carts here in the city. Oh, butchered by hand. Oh yeah, that's fucking great. Or or even <laughs> the uh, even even the Jews, what they do. Oh yeah, we hang the animal upside down, slit its throat, and it chokes on its own blood. That's co- Kosher. No, that's fucking barbaric. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's get, let's get fucking real, man. And even the Hindus, they're murdering animals now, doing like animal sacrifices and all this shit. Like, and Buddhists coming out of McDonald's. Buddha's main teaching was ahimsa. How the fuck could you eat meat and claim to be a Buddhist? You're not a Buddhist. You're a Kali Yuga Buddhist, which is Kali Yuga bullshit. That's what that is. For sure. I I mean, actually, one of the f- first reasons why I went vegan was I, I was born uh, a Greek Orthodox. And one of the traditions is you would fast 40 days before Easter. And on Easter day, you would have lamb. And, uh, what you know, and, like I started thinking about it because I did the 40 days and I was like, man, like, what if Easter comes? Do I eat it? Do I n- not eat the lamb? I'm like, how is this even Christian? like in the first place. And so I, I decided to keep on going. I'm like, yeah, F this. I, I'm, I'm not going to partake in that. And that's fine if my family does. I'm just going to keep eating vegan. And like it, it, it seriously, it, it made no sense to me. And, um, you know, you talked about all these religions, you know, in my opinion, and you can, you know, share yours as well, John, um, religion should be about serving others. And I see others as humans and animals. And when religion, like, you know, oh, look, you know, hanging an animal upside down, like you said, is kosher and slit in its throat. But that, who is that serving? I mean, that's, that's yeah, well, great. You know, that's, uh, you know, they take irreligion to be religion and religion to be irreligion. And, uh, you know, look at Prabhupada. You know, he came here and slept on the floor from India at 70 years old, had no possessions, went out, fed people every day, did everything for everybody. It was service to others. That's mm-hmm. That should be the whole mood. And he was one of the first people to start talking about not killing animals and this whole, you know, that you want peace on the planet, but yet you mean, you know, all these people protesting the wars there's, there's collective karma on this planet. There's a bigger issue. And he said, as long as you maintain slaughterhouses and kill billions of animals every single year, there's never going to be peace on this planet. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because you're creating 
an atmosphere of violence. And that violence, Prabhupada said, the young men of that country will have to go to war and be brutally slaughtered in the same manner. That's what, you know, nobody gets away with anything. Karma never loses an address. So, you know, that's why, you know, then you get a lot of vegans who are fucking totally fucked up to humans and and that's why you know i don't i don't agree with that's why in my book meat is for pussies i have a chapter vegan the five letter curse word because you know a lot of them came out against me when my book came out and, and just set out to fucking destroy anything i was fucking doing but you know it's like you just gotta keep uh Fighting for the right thing, man, you know, and, and uh, if I stop to always think, you know, what motherfuckers are saying or, or 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 think about what I'm doing or what they're writing, I don't, I don't give a fuck. Go write whatever the fuck you want, you know. I, I could give a fuck less because, uh, you know, the real change is happening and, and, and um, you know, so... Like they say, the the dogs may bark, but the elephants carry on, man, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think, uh, you know, that's that you're right. That's the other extreme end of things is is vegans, you know, attacking humans and not coming out from a, a place of, of love. And, you know, like you, your rela- yeah, your relationship with, with Joe, for example, you're not attacking him. You guys are, are friends. And like if you guys might not agree at the end of the day, but that's not going to break your guys relationship. And you're trying yeah. to grow together. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it, it's it's not just him. It's it's with a lot of people. You know, I mean I don't uh, sit there and, and start saying, "Oh man, if I was like fuck everybody that ate meat, I would have no fucking friends, man." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know? definitely. Like, and and you just have to lead the, live the example, man. You know, and, and I've had a lot of people over the years go, "Yo, man, I, I like, dude, you're still fucking doing this shit, like." You know, can you help me out? Like that's that's, it, you know, that's what it's all about, man. It's it's um, you treat, you you stay humble. You treat people with respect, love, and compassion. You know, you 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 just live your life. Uh, that's what Prabhupada said. You know, it, it, it's it's he always said example is better than precept. You always get people talking all this shit and whatever, and then it's like when you meet them, you're just like, "Holy shit, you're a fucking not, a, you're not a good person." Right. But you know the people that impress me the most, and some of these people do eat meat, and I'm like, "Wow, man, you're you're like a fucking upstanding fucking human." Like, you know, there's a lot of vegans that are fucking horrible people, horrible fucking people. I would fucking punch them in the face if they. If they mouth off the way they do, I don't want to be around those fucking people. Yeah, definitely. And that's why I even said I would rather hang out with cool motherfuckers, even if they did eat McDonald's or whatever the fuck, and like you know, try you know, like maybe they'll come around, you know, like or whatever the fuck, like to sit there and say like I'm only gonna be friends with people who don't eat animals like that's absurd yeah and i'm sure you you know you've done a lot of work with the Hare krishnas i'm sure you've seen this in religion too where people are just not fundamentally connected with the values of whatever it is that they're doing like i saw the most fucking 
bogus, hypocritical motherfuckers in that movement too. Mm-hmm. But I always had Prabhupada's example to look up to. And then you see these people who appointed themselves as gurus and, and fucking, uh, you know, people molesting the kids in the movement and stealing millions of dollars and having people whacked that spoke out against them and doing just horrible, insane shit in the name of religion. You know, wearing the dress of a Vaishnav, of a, of a Hare Krishna, but just fucking demoniac to the max. Yeah. You know, this guy who was in the Brooklyn Temple raping women and fucking stealing drugs, selling fucking guns, just fucking a horrible motherfucker. And like that doesn't impress me, man. You know, it's it's the humble person when you meet them and and you see that, you know, they get what the whole thing's really about, you know? How much of that is do you believe is um, you know, people more dedicated to like the label or the institution rather than the values themselves. A lot of people want to say, you know, listen, you know what Prabhupada always said, and I think it applies to the movement, the the spiritual movements and the plant-based vegan stuff. Don't be surprised at the ones that go, be surprised at the ones that stay because all these, you know, my, my brother sends me, my brother's, you know, one of my brothers is vegan and he's like, yo, this chick, she had a fucking, you know, whatever million followers on, on social media, and then she went back to eating meat. I'm like, well, she never gave a fuck about the animals. So obviously, you know, I got into it out of compassion reasons for animals. There's no fucking way I'll ever go back to eating meat in this fucking lifetime. Right. Like, it's not going to happen because I got into it for the right reasons. First was for the animals, and then I, I uncovered the nutritional stuff, and then, you know, what it was doing in the last four decades to the environment and the glyphosate and the GMO crops fed to animals and all the other shit. So it's, it's a wealth of knowledge that's been, I've constantly researched it for 40 years and, 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 you know, and seen so many people come and go, even as like when people say to me, are you still, Oh, you're still a Hare Krishna. I'm like, what the fuck you think? Like that this was like some fly by night shit. Like Prabhupada's teachings Saved me from going to prison, from death, from drug addiction, like all of this. And that message of not killing animals is right there too, you know, so. For sure. And um, actually, uh, you, you mentioned drugs. And I don't know if you're open to talking about this, but I've definitely heard you talk about it in other podcasts of, of some of the struggles you went through with, with drugs. And I want to ask you only because it's so motivating to hear where you were and where you are now. So if you're open to it and talking about maybe yeah, some of the, the struggles. Yeah. I mean, you know, doing this, uh, like, I literally was a fucking garbage pail of every single drug in the 70s. I tried heroin. I didn't like it. Shot it. Uh, took pills, angel dust, fucking every fucking drug, drank, did this, that, the other fucking thing. Almost cost me my life several times. And then, you know, even after getting into the philosophy and the, the wisdom of whatever, you know, being a monk and everything else, I still hadn't dealt with a lot of the shit that went down. And when people crossed me um, and, uh, you know, I would spin out. Uh, and, and that's what happened in uh, in 87. The, the bass player from the fucking Cro-Mags, Harley, who's supposed to be my friend, robbed the fucking band and left me high and dry and just like 
Damn. fucked up shit. And, and yeah, he fucking... And, and, and I had to come back Christmas 87 and be homeless because he stole all the tour money. And then I started hanging out with the wrong people and I, I ended up relapsing. I did uh, two years of crack and pills and fucking drinking and all. And, uh, you know, and just full on addict, just robbing very dangerous drug dealers and... Um, you know, I had uh, uh, terminate on sites, man, on my fucking head. You know, like, and uh, and then I uh, went to the West Coast and continued on with my bullshit. Ro- you know, robbing drug dealers and you got involved with like the Red Hot Chili Peppers or something. I heard. Oh uh, yeah, it was their merch person. Like, let us, me and the girl I was on a tear with, stay at her house, and she was selling crystal uh, crank or whatever the fuck, and we robbed like a huge bag of drugs and money from her, and it was just you know, I was that type of, uh, and I was on the run. You know, her family, the girl I was with, fucking family was very wealthy. They had fucking you know a whole fucking team of fbi and private investigators and cops fucking looking for us but they you know we were one step ahead you know this all comes out i'm uh, you know it's in my book the evolution of crow magnon which i'm developing into a flick so i mean uh you know it was uh it was crazy and uh you know and luckily uh i had to like I said, you know, they say, yeah, you hit rock bottom. I was I was under the motherfucking rocks. Like, I was fucking one step lower than the rocks. Like, right. literally. And uh, I had to uh, almost be murdered uh, to, to wake the fuck up. And uh, I, I, I just turned the corner on that, thankfully, because of my spiritual practice. I went back and uh, lived in the Krishna temple, I, I went there actually and was like, if you don't let me stay here, I'm going to, I'm going to be dead. And the temple president at the time was, uh, a friend and he, and he let me stay. And, and I started crawling my way out of that darkness, uh, that way. And, and, um, you know, started training again and training martial arts. I was a bike messenger. I just utilized every moment of my time for positive things. And, all of those uh, lessons and all of those activities and everything I did physically, mentally, spiritually, I put in this new book, The PMA Effect, how I overcame, uh, you know, you, you can see me now and doing what I'm doing, but you don't see what happened from the time I was fucking, you know, five years old to now, you know, like, even like I said, you know, me and me and, um, you know, I've been on a first name basis with adversity since the moment of conception. And that's the truth because I was conceived out of a rape. So, I mean, you know, think about that, you know, and then being my mother being beat down even while I was in the womb. This picture of me coming home from the hospital when I was born and my father's holding me and my mother's there and you can see the look on her face. But if, if you look behind her, you'll see my little, my older brother who's one year old, who is absolutely terrified of him because of what he was doing. You know, he threw my brother down a flight of stairs when he was two years old, my, my younger brother. So, I mean, he's he actually hit my mother and she dropped him down a flight of stairs. So this guy's a fucking animal and that's why 
I always stand up for people and um, I hate bullies and, and people that abuse women and do all this shit to kids. Uh, you know, there's a reason I, 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 I'm, I'm, uh, I show no mercy to those people. For sure. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, it, so you obviously have been through a lot with, with your parents, um, uh, you know, the home that you were staying uh, with the, the drugs and the violence. Like, how, how were you able to, how were you able to get out of that victim mentality that I think a lot of us go through? And sometimes, you know, it's justified, you know, you, you definitely had it bad. But how does one accept the blame and the responsibility to turn their life around when they have all this shit going on? Right. Well, that's why I have a chapter in the PMA effect, and it's called Stop Playing the Victim. And, and, and very simply, uh, it was my writing teacher again, Robert McKee, uh, you know, because I always had a this thing like, well, you know, motherfuckers, you know, did shit to me and... and uh, you know, I'm going to have a chip on my shoulder about it or whatever the fuck. And, uh, it was, uh, I was taking his writing course, which is famous in, in Hollywood, the story seminar, which is three days. And, you know, I, I came up to him after, during a break and asked him, you know, as far as the protagonist who's, uh, been abused as a child and he's, and he stopped me and he goes, child abuse is the number one cliche of terrible writers who try to gain sympathy and empathy for characters that are flat and stale and we would otherwise never give a shit about. He said, uh -huh. it's not what happens to a character, it's what they do as a result. And mm -hmm. really, that's when the light came on and I really started rolling up my sleeves and getting to work even more. And then I got to see... Um, somebody got me tickets to see Miguel, uh, Miguel, uh, Ruiz, the, um, Don Miguel Ruiz from the four agreements. And I heard him speak live and had his book and all of this stuff, you know, you, you start, life has to continuously be a learning process. Even to this day, like if I think I know it all, then you're stunting your growth. It's, you have to always be. You know, like Prabhupada said, even Prabhupada, who compiled, you know, hundreds of books of the Vedas, he's in the world, Guinness Book of World Records, he's in Harvard, thought of himself as fool number one. So mm -hmm. you start thinking you know it all and nobody could teach you nothing, you're done. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's we have to keep... You know, that's what you get with these people that go on and make these stupid fucking comments about animals and, you know, if we don't, blah, 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 they want to <laughs> argue against. I'm like, motherfucker, I ain't here to argue with you. Like, <laughs> killing animals is fucked up. That's right. it. End the fucking story. Boss. That's it. Right. No more. There's nothing else you need to fucking say. If you want to go say it, say it somewhere else. You see what I'm posting about and you want to come and try to put your bullshit on my page, get the fuck out of here. Like, you know, I'm like, dude, don't post your bullshit over here because it's bullshit. That's what it is. So, you know, you, you always have. But, hey, man, you know, I'm always I'm always trying to learn new ways of doing things and my writing and my training and 
you know, my, 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 uh, um, the work I'm doing on myself, you know, keep that glass, you keep that glass half empty, man. Sounds like, yeah, you, you've been keeping an open mind about things and just trying to learn from all sorts, sorts of, uh, from people and resources. So I think, uh, I, I'm sure that had a, a big part in it. Um, like you said, I've heard, um, that you're straight edge, meaning you don't drink any alcohol and obviously nope. you don't do any drugs. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I don't call it straight edge cause I'm not a fucking, you know, 16 year old kid in 1982. I just <laughs> remain clean and sober in my life. That's what works for me. Uh, I don't need to be drinking. I seen what it did to my family. I seen what the drugs have done to my younger brother who's an addict and all the other people that I've seen using drugs. I don't use any psychedelics or any of that shit. I don't need it. And I just remain clean and sober in my life. And, uh, you know, that's what the Vedas tell you. Don't take intoxication. It's one of the regular principles. You know, you're not supposed to be getting fucked up. You know, it, it, you know, it, it, it hampers motivation, man, you know, and I, I've seen it personally, you know, when I smoked weed, oh yeah, you got a lot of great ideas, but then it's the fucking execution of it, and, you know, these kids today that's smoking this fucking ganja that's so fucking powerful, it's like, I don't know, man, I just think, like, you can accomplish a lot more, me speaking personally, I get a lot more shit done not getting high, man. Yeah, and I yeah. don't and I don't need it because it's you know I'm trying to deal on a higher level than the mental platform and that's what intoxication is. Intoxication and getting high is on the mental level, right? What's above the mental, the intellectual, and then the spiritual is above that. So I I have to intellectually say, hey man. Uh, sense five senses and mind. Uh, no, we're not gonna go drink that fucking beer and smoke and do all this other shit intellectually to be, you know, kind of. Uh, you want to execute stuff on the spiritual platform of life. And yeah. The minute you come down to the mental platform, you're li you're limiting yourself, and that's what intoxication it immediately puts you on the mental plane. You know, so I don't, I, me personally, I don't, I don't need that. I have so much joy in my life without getting fucked up. And I said that too, in meetings for pussies and even in the PMA effect and all that. I'm like, chances are, if you went out and got fucking hammered on Friday night, you're not getting up at the crack of dawn Saturday morning to go ride a hundred miles and then go run 10 miles off the bike. It's not going to happen. Right. I, I will bet the fucking farm on that, that you won't get that done. And, you know, for me, it's not just that. I'm writing. I'm writing. I just finished a cookbook, and I'm working on another book. I'm working on a film. I'm working on a one-man show for Off-Broadway. Um, I got, you know, all these plans that I'm trying to do. So it's like I have, I have to have a level, clear head. And I just find even in the relationships of people and how I deal with them, the ones who uh, keep that same mentality of staying clean and sober, you know, I, I, I click and we execute together properly, you know. Right, definitely. And I 100% relate to what you're talking about. I'm almost 29 years old, but I gave booze when I was 
21, I bought my favorite singer uh, a beer and it was an awesome experience. And then I called it quits. And like you, I saw benefits not only to my health, but just more focus with my work, with with uh, cycling. I'm also a cyclist, too. Um, and just like, you know, doing more without having all that hold me back. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I man, I, I can't even tell you. Uh, so, yeah, I, I myself, too, uh, ha have given all that up and can relate to that. But um, yeah, man. Uh, so you're you're obviously into triathlons. I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Um, and, you know, if you could talk about maybe what that looks like for you, like training wise and diet and supplements, um, all of that. I want to yeah, know. I, mean, uh, I can hit that and then I got to go because uh, I'm I'm fucking I haven't even packed yet. And I still I'm I'm leaving for L.A. tomorrow for a week. So my flight's at like five, my flight's like five in the morning. So yeah. Um, yeah, we'll just, um, you know, I compete in Ironman. I, I've done 11 of them and a half and a bunch of, uh, Olympics and marathons and stuff like that. So, uh, the Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 bike, and then you got to run a 26.2 mile marathon. Uh, I train under, uh, Samantha Murphy from, um, is my coach from, uh, Evolve uh, coaching systems. And, um, you know, to me, it's like, Hey man, it all goes hand in hand. I, 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 it helps me to stay focused. I'm very, uh, goal oriented. And, uh, I have, you know, I talk about in my book, the PMA effect, I have cork boards up in my room. Um, um, uh, I have a plan I have a goal. I work backwards from there. It's like you map things out. Okay, I have to do this Ironman in May. Here's what I need to get done. Right now in January, I'm doing strength and conditioning. I'm getting in the pool a little bit. I'm running a little bit. I'm keeping my diet very clean so I don't gain any weight. Uh, and then you start stepping it up. And, it, you know, into, into February and March and April and you know, you, you know, it's like with anything else, you know, people always say, I don't need no teacher for this or that, but you need a teacher for everything you try to do. Martial arts, uh, spirituality, somebody's got to show you what to do and what not to do. Like if a human just goes and speculates on everything in life, it's not the way things work. You want to be an auto mechanic, you go to school. You right. want to be a fucking writer, you go to school. You want to be a soldier, you go to fuck a boot camp. Everybody's learning. Yeah. You can't just think, I'm going to do it my way. That's not the way shit works. You, 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 you look at, I, I look at these people, okay, first of all, I say, what the fuck has this person done? And then I'm like, okay, they got the credentials. They're living it. Let me pick this person's brain. Do what they say to the max. And that's what I do in any aspect, but especially triathlon, you know, it's like you get the training peaks, you're, you know, you have your workouts coming, you fucking, you race with power meters and heart rate and all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been dealing with an injury probably the last three years, which I had fixed in May. I had a hernia fixed and, uh, several hernias actually, but, uh. Mm -hmm. It's just something that I do that keeps me focused, you know. There's no time for bullshit. Every day I wake up, the first thing I do, I my eyes open, 
I touch my head to the to the ground. And I say my mantras. I'm thankful for another day. I fucking get after it. I execute, execute, execute. I have written down the night before what exactly I'm gonna fucking do. And right by, by crook, I gotta get that done. Just like today, part of it was training, starting to get ready, and then do this podcast. Now yeah. I gotta go do a run after this podcast. Then I gotta go pack and get the shit that I need. For right. tomorrow, but it's always something. I'm always staying focused. I always have a goal. I'm working on these books. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I just find that being physically fit enables me to achieve the other goals that I'm trying to do in my life. And keep a clean diet, uh, not getting high. All of this shit works in conjunction with each other. You know, you don't try to light a fire and then throw water on it, you know? So that's why I stay sober. I do what my coaches teach me. I, my coach, Samantha, I take advice from learned people. I, uh, you know, just seek out to help others on the path every day, pay it forward. You know, they, these are my philosophies of life. That's what that's what makes me happy. You know, it's for sure. Um, and and I know you got to run real quick, but I don't know if you have time for one more question. I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about Thirty for Life, the documentary you're yeah. doing with Paul DeGelder and Kip Anderson, and also what that means for giving people a second chance. Yeah, well, I'll tell you about that real quick because uh, I know what worked for me and. You know, sadly, a lot of the people that I was incarcerated with or ran the streets uh, didn't make it out of the situations. You know, many of them, as a matter of fact, my guitar player uh, is going to be coming up on two years for blood clot, OD'd, relapsed, OD'd, and died. So, um, yeah. you know, it's, I just, you know, being locked up and over the years I've gone and spoken at uh, prisons and lockups and gang high schools and it's just something I always try to do and then um, I, you know I had the idea and I was calling it 30 to life and, and I was like yo what if we could work with people who got out of prison and especially in, a, in an area like California the recidivism rate I think is like 80 something percent if they served above 10 years 80 percent of those people go back to prison or whatever the statistics were wow. very high and then I'm friends with Paul DeGelder and I took it to him and I was like yo I got this idea and he loved it and we fucking sat there for like a month and banged out the whole storyboard and the ideas and what we wanted to do and this and that and put a whole pitch together uh, every day working and, and then we took it to Kip and Kip loved it and then he got we gave it to him on a Wednesday by Friday he had the financing and Kip did What the Health and Cowspiracy so his investors loved the idea and then you know it, it became an organic process like Kip added to it you know he had ideas as we were going around going along and we found this place we were going to put the inmates in a house and stuff like that, but then it got to be too difficult. And then one of the producers that he worked with, line producer, found a spot called Amity Foundation in California, and it was for parolees and stuff like this. And then 
we we just worked with the guys in there and put them through this 30-day program because that's what I was told. If you do this for 30 days and you meditate and you come on the road with the bad brains and you know you and you don't eat meat and all this shit in 30 days, your life could change. You could just have a whole new outlook on life and PMA, positive mental attitude and all this. And then I remember reading years ago about some Buddhist that went into, it was a magazine, Satya, and he went into the prisons and told, taught Buddhism to prisoners and veganism and stuff like that. And one of the prisoners was never getting out. I think he was doing double life. And he was like, if I had this knowledge in the outside, I would never be where I'm at now. But right. it always stuck with me over the years, like, it's not about incarceration, it's education. People make mistakes. You can't just damn them to eternity. That's the Christian philosophy. Accept Jesus or you're going to burn in hell eternally. That's bullshit. That's fucking bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Mm -hmm. Okay? And it's the same thing with people that make mistakes. I made mistakes. Nobody gave up on me, and they had compassion and tried to help me. And we went in and worked. The documentary's coming out next year. It's oh, awesome. so proud of it. It was, uh, you know, not ego-wise, but just like what this, all of us working together, Keith Mitchell, the Pro Bowl linebacker, um, defensive back, rather, for the uh, New Orleans Saints, and, and he's plant-based and does yoga and, he got injured on the field and switched his whole life over and just all these did. We had Krishna Das come in and chant to the end. Paul had him jumping out of airplanes and like could do a community service and, and working at a, at a farm at a rescue for animal, like amazing, amazing. Uh, one of the highlights of my life, meeting these guys who society kind of doomed them to be, you know, live a life of incarceration. And it's not the case. It's not the case. And out of everybody, only one of the people out of the 12, and he got caught with drugs during the filming, but all the other people stayed out of trouble and, you know, adhered to, to, to the teachings. And it was it was cool. So just check for that. Um, next year that'll be happening probably this, at the end of this year yeah it'll be out right on man well yeah I'm gonna let you go because I know you're in a in a hurry but uh dude it's been awesome connecting with you and uh, you know let's do this again down the road if you're up for it yeah man well uh send me the link when the podcast is up so I can uh, put it out there you got it man well safe travels yeah Thanks, hopefully bro. I'll talk to you soon you got it brother peace